The problem is this. If you ask people what they want, they will inevitably tell you something which is a few percent better than what they're currently getting. The trap with that is it forces a situation in which businesses incrementally improve something, increasingly looking the same and building the same thing. The best businesses actually don't ask that question. They, they you know, often don't talk to the existing users of a thing. They'll go to the people who don't use it or don't like how things are done and they'll learn from that. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Good morning, everyone. Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent here. When it comes to creating a winning strategy, most agents will tell you that they have either the best people or the best service. But what does that even mean, particularly when everyone else says the same thing? My guest today will tell you that there is, in fact, no best service. It's more about understanding what your service is and being able to define it and having your brand and marketing messages reflect that from start to finish. He's also a master at creatively thinking about business models, and we're super delighted to have him facilitating a special strategy session for us at Elite Retreat in August. Did I mention that he's also a Harvard alum, the CEO of Colmeo, and has been one of our most popular Transform presenters in the past couple of years. So welcome back to the podcast, Scott Bateman. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to see you again. And I'm also looking forward to having you join us at Elite Retreat in late July. Can't wait. Yeah, really excited. It feels a bit weird without having Brock here, sort of, you know, like on the side carriage. Because I love it. The last he's he's my, my Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the last time uh, we had you on the podcast, we talked a lot about property management business models in that episode, and we'll link that for everyone there just in case um, anyone's interested. But I also have to say that you're looking slightly different today to when you last popped up on my social media feed. I think it was like May the 4th, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're wearing a Jedi outfit. <laughs> like. I got to work that morning and the team has sent me this photoshopped image. I think they've taken Obi-Wan or something and I was just like, you know what, have fun with it, go with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's 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 a great day. Oh, there's, there's so many good jokes around that beginning period of May. It's not even funny. I love it. But um, I think Jedi is a pretty good description of your calm and sensible approach to real estate, particularly property management, which I'd like to cover today. So let's talk about what's happening in, in that area. Mm-hmm. At Comio, you have an opportunity to hear from a lot of agencies. What are some of the big trends and sentiments that you're hearing uh, from the industry right now? It's a really good place to start. I think the um, the interesting thing to us is that it's not that there's some big new problem that's come about. It's that the existing issues have become more visible. It's that some of the issues are starting to compound on each other. And it just so happens that we've also got this other big thing happening on the sidelines, which is change in legislation that's then kind of coming in and adding to the confusion, adding to the stress. So, you know, there's a lot of conversation about the great resignation and in inverted commas. Uh, we know COVID was problematic for keeping people. We know businesses are finding it harder to attract staff. And in fact, uh, you know, maybe 12 to 18 months ago, when we talked to businesses about Cormio, you know, the conversation was around how do we save your money? Now the question is, well, what does this mean for my team? 
And is it going to make their lives easier? Am I going to lose property managers by switching to your product? So it's a very different kind of point of assessment for them. Yeah, well, great resignation, great realisation. There's a lot that's sort of, you know, been going on in people's minds. And you just touched on the exodus of people from the property management industry. So in what ways do you think the industry could respond to that? People in any job are after really four kind of fundamental things when they, when they go to work. Purpose, autonomy, mastery and reward. Now, reward is the simplest part. Do I get paid enough for the things someone wants me to do? And, and obviously, there's things you can do there to incentivize people differently. That's really the simple one. The other three, though, are equally important. Is the work that I'm doing purposeful? So do I feel a sense of meaning and connection to it? Am I being, you know, am I doing really good at something because we like doing things we're good at? Or am I helping to kind of develop into something that might be a little bit outside my skill set today? So that's kind of coaching and training. Uh, and then the final part is autonomy. So do I get the scope to make decisions? Am I getting just that right level of feedback at the right time? Can I work remotely? Can I work flexibly? Every single business, these are the big four things that is no different no matter what industry you're in. I think the question becomes in property management and sales and so on, how well do you think you're doing across any one of those four things? And are there opportunities within any one or perhaps a couple of them to start thinking through? Working flexible in my mind is probably the big obvious one at the moment, given the shift to cloud through COVID. And that's created an opportunity to do that far more. Apart from that, are there any other key strategies that you think agencies could put in place to better support their staff? There's many, Sam. So um, if you think about when someone comes into your business, how much time and effort goes into setting them up to be successful? What are the measures and mechanisms that you've got in place for them to actually track their progress and see that they're doing a good job? Are you creating opportunities for them to kind of learn and see something different to what they may have in the past? Uh, and I think programs like Elite Retreat and Transform and some of these are just great examples where exposing people to new ideas and new thinking can re-energise them if they're still doing the same job. And I think quite often we think we've got a, you know, a small business, there's not a lot of opportunity for growth. Well, partner up, like start to do some work with some of the people in your area and think around how you can expose your team to them and so on. And it's kind of like the student exchange thing when you're in, when you're in high school. It's just kind of modernising that for business. Yeah, it's interesting. We will be covering that in detail at Elite Retreat, actually. That's one of Dr. Fox's favourite topics um, is that, you know, you find that people are now which is better than it was a few years ago, putting a whole lot of effort into onboarding. But then yeah. after they've been onboarded, it's almost like how do people track that they're actually doing well? And um, and that's something that he's going to be covering in, in huge detail. So I'm really looking forward to that because, you know, he would even say that there's things to learn from the gaming world, you know, so... You could learn something from you could learn something from Candy Crush. Who, who <laughs> you know, it's actually it's interesting. I I play the odd video game in my spare time as well, just to try and recharge the brain. And the amount of times I found myself grinding away at a thing just because there's that weird sense of reward when you get to a certain place, and I'm not actually even enjoying it, but I'm it's that <laughs> sense of achievement. I want to get that trophy. I want to get that thing. And I think you're right. There's something in that. It feels like you are talking about Candy Crush, but um, <laughs> moving along. Um, over the years, you've written some great articles for Elite Agent, um, particularly in the area of um, of leadership. So, um, you know, sort of, I guess, going on from um, what we were just talking about, what do you think is required of leaders at this moment in property management? I think there's two parts to this. So there's... Um as a functional or business leader, what does the business need from me? 
And the second is as a leader of people, what do my people need from me? Irrespective of which two of those dimensions are looking at, from my point of view, there's a big piece that's needed around curiosity, around empathy and humility, because I think with those three things, you're in a better position to genuinely understand the lives of your people and what matters to them and what they're wrestling with. In the absence of that, very hard to do that well. But I think the other side of it from a, a business leadership point of view is ultimately we serve three masters. So in any business, you've got a, you've got a team, you've got customers, and you've got so profit. So you've got to try and generate a return. You've got investors. And as business leaders, that's a very different skill set. But I think those three traits are still equally important. Are you looking at things and challenging the way they've been done? Uh, do you have the ability to kind of try something knowing that you might not get it right and be okay that you won't get it right? And then are you kind of looking at what matters to people and reinforcing what's important to them along the way? So what do you think would be some good questions to start unearthing um, that those, those answers from your business? Because we know that if you ask better questions, you get better answers. One of the things that we did when we started Colmio, which might be a, a little trick for others, is we sort of asked the question, if property management didn't exist and we were going to start it today, it was a new industry and we were going to start it today, with everything that we now know to be true about people and the legislative environment, the technology that's available, how differently would we engineer an industry, not just a technology solution, but an industry taking advantage of that? And then what we do is we start to look at what falls from that and say, well, how do we challenge some of the things that are currently being done and ask good questions around whether it absolutely has to be that way? Are there downsides to this approach that we're not really conscious of or understanding? Are there opportunities that we're blind to because we're wedded to a fixed mindset and a fixed point of view on how things have always been done. The other question that I'm a, I'm a big fan of is what would need to be true for X? So if we are serious about changing the engagement in our team, what would need to be true for our people to be 5% happier? What would need to be true for potential customers to choose us 10% more often than what they do today? And it's a wonderfully powerful question for just teasing out some of what might be missing. Yeah, absolutely. They sound like great questions, actually. And speaking of great questions, last year you gave a great session in Transform, which led to some, which, you know, was inspired by some of your lessons at Harvard. And actually now we're using that as part of our uh, CPD leadership modules for awesome. New South Wales agents, and they've all been um, very, very much enjoying that. But um, as someone that has studied at Harvard, what was the Harvard experience like? Uh, pretty brutal, to be honest. <laughs> Look, it was, um, it, you know, when you get there, they they tell you that people who have gone through it previously described as life-changing and you kind of go, all right, guys, like I've already paid you the money. You can ease up on the sales pitch. Uh, and by the end of it, you absolutely agree. It's a, it's a truly life-changing process to go through because you meet some of the smartest people in the world. You're forced to really confront some of the way you think and the patterns that you've built for how you think about the world. Um, you're exposed to all of these extraordinary new ideas and some of the, the kind of mental models and tools that they give you stick with you forever. And in large part, that's because of the case study process. It, it just sets you up very differently to think about opportunities and people and business and so on. So to use, you know, life changing, it sounds a bit cliche, but it's, a, it's really true. I've heard that before too from some other people that have that have done some study at Harvard. You know, Pancho um, Matrota is one that comes to mind. Um, he's a big fan of the case study method, as are you. So um, tell us what it is and why is it so effective? The case study is essentially, um, it's an approach to learning that Harvard pioneered 100 years ago. So I think this year they've just celebrated the 100th anniversary of case studies. Wow. And what they do is they go and research deeply 
a business in a situation and, and really kind of pull it apart to understand, you know, the protagonist. So who's the key person in this story and what's going on for them? And then they bring that to a live class setting where 80 to 100 people are brought into that story, forced to sit in the shoes of the person in the story and make decisions. And the, the easiest way that I've found to describe it is it's a bit like a flight simulator for a pilot in that it, it tricks the senses for the pilot into thinking that it's real, but the mistakes you make because it's a simulator aren't real and there's no consequence. So you can kind of, you know, get a real world view of what's going to go on and what can I expect and how does something work? Case studies are that same thing. It's not just theory. It kind of immerses you in this very real world setting. And then you kind of get to see some of the decisions that you make play out pros and cons, what's and all. And then from that start to learn how to think about things very differently. So the, the kind of real world part of it, I think is what makes it so important. Yeah, you know, you and I have talked and, and everyone had such um, a great experience with the case study of the last two years in Transform that, you know, I remember us talking about it and saying, wouldn't it be great to do that face to face? And now yeah. we finally got the opportunity. <laughs> I can't wait. I think it's so, it is so different in a room with people. It's going to be so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about Transform because that was an interesting an interesting case study. And, you know, it's so true, like, um, you know, at least you can make decisions using a case study for better or worse because, you know, um, in, in life we've got to make decisions and live with them. But in the case study, you don't necessarily have to live with them. They're just kind of simulations. Yeah. Um, one of the first things that you did was to encourage the people doing transform is to look at the big trends and why they matter. So what do you see as the big trends currently emerging in the real estate industry? We've got to come up level first and think, what are the big trends full stop? And then from that, we can start to get a bit more granular around real estate. If we look at what's going on at the moment, we've got some really big, obvious macroeconomic things. So you've got war in Europe, you've got tensions with China, we've got uh, issues with inflation and interest rate rises. Any one of these things is significant at a societal level because when one of those things happen, what a government does in response shifts and it means the focus isn't on our industry perhaps or you know, the time that it might take you to get something done is different. So there's all these, all these little uh, unintended consequences. In real estate, though, I think there's some really obvious ones. The focus on digitization and the role of technology across the industry, I think, is increasing for better and worse. It's not, it's not a silver bullet by any stretch. I think there's some workforce changes at play as well. So, um, you know, what's drawing people to the industry and keeping them in the industry is starting to shift. We're starting to see people take a much stronger kind of societal good lens to the work that they do. And I think even from a sales point of view, one of the things I love most is, you know, increasingly it's less and less uh, kind of learning about scripts and it's more about learning about ourselves and the role that we play in our, in our neighbourhoods, in our networks and so on. So, I think these are things that you can't underestimate in terms of the way they change what people want from an employer. From a customer point of view, every single thing that we buy and sell at the moment is changing and for the most part improving. People's expectations of all businesses are increasing as a consequence. I, I've got, um, I had a moment of frustration last night because my menu log order was the wrong thing or something stupid and I'm cracking it. Like I was just furious. And you sort of step back and go, you know, three or four years ago, if I had, if someone had said to me, listen, there's this incredible new way that you can easily scroll for something to eat. It comes to your house. You can track the food. It's cost effective. But one time in a hundred, it's probably not going to go great. I would have said, that's amazing. 
Now I'm li- I've just lived the once in a hundred and I'm furious. So this expectation that we have of businesses is actually increasing and it's something for us all to be mindful of in real estate. So speaking of service, I think one of the things that we've also talked about in the past is that a lot of agents say they have the best service or the best marketing or the best whatever. Um, but you would argue that there's no such thing. That's right. Yeah. I think the, the question that needs to follow is the best service for who and why? Because if, if we take a step back and say, um, you know, say you think you're giving someone the best service, my question is, is there something more that you could do for them that they would be willing to pay for? In which case there is actually a layer there, which is better than what you're doing. The second is, could you strip things out and reduce the cost? And how much value would they get from that reduction in cost? And in this case, we've actually gone to a lower price point, but retained profitability, but that person is actually happier. So I think there's this kind of um, false truism that you've got to give the best service. And then what we see people do is add all these steps in. And what we know is that adds cost, it adds complexity. uh, It reduces the likelihood that something will be consistent, which we know is important to people. So inevitably I'd say, yeah, sure, there's, there's a place for really great service as we traditionally define it. But you'd be amazed at how many businesses are only successful because they actually did things that most of us would argue make things worse. And uh, I mean, the other classic, I guess, you know, that I should have said in the beginning too, is people will say they have the best service and then automate everything, like, <laughs> you know, which doesn't doesn't quite compute either. No, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, you know, automation, If you, you've got to make a call. Do we want to be a service leader, an in inverted commas, or a cost leader? If you want to be a cost leader, automate the brains out of everything, reduces your cost to serve, fantastic. If you're serious about being a service leader, you actually want moments of human involvement. You actually want moments of friction. So asking your customer to do a thing they might not normally do. All of these things is how we actually build relationships and build trust and build that customer intimacy, for want of a better word. So I think automation is a great thing if you are determined to be a cost leader. It's a dangerous path to go down if you aren't clear about some of the downsides that come with it. And I saw a few, um, I saw quite a few thinking faces um, as well when you said there's also a time that businesses should ignore their customers. Um, (laughs) And there's probably a few thinking faces right now, a few scratched heads. But um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, Yeah, so (laughs) I think it's fascinating when you watch people's reaction to, to putting that out. But just if you're listening, hear me out. I'm not insane, I promise. The, the problem is this. If you ask people what they want, they will inevitably tell you something which is a few percent better than what they're currently getting. The trap with that is it forces a situation in which businesses incrementally improve something, increasingly looking the same and building the same thing. The best businesses actually don't ask that question. They, they you know, often don't talk to the existing users of a thing. They'll go to the people who don't use it or don't like how things are done and they'll learn from that. My favourite example of this is Ikea, who who kind of challenged the whole notion of how we buy furniture and said, well, you know, people don't necessarily want furniture that lasts 30 years anymore. They don't want to wait 12 weeks to get it. They don't want to pay $5,000 for a couch. And and our argument is if we ask you to self-assemble it, we can flat pack it, reduces cost of transport, means more can be stacked in a warehouse. And there's all these other benefits that come from asking the consumer to do the assembly. And what we've seen is they're now the most successful company in the world from a furniture point of view. If you look at the um, the highest growth category in alcohol at the moment, it's alcohol-free beer. I mean, who who on earth 
took a step back and said, I want to drink beer, but I don't want the fun that comes with it. Like it just, it baffles me. But what we're seeing is that that's where the growth is. They had the, the courage to kind of say, well, actually people enjoy the social aspect and they, they might like the taste, but they still want to be able to do that in a way which is alcohol free. And I think you look at products like Heaps Normal and some of these others that are just amazing. It's That's really courageous. And that's where you truly differentiate. I've tried them all and I can highly recommend Naked Life Gin and Tonic. There you go. Hot, hot, yep. <laughs> headache, headache free Wednesdays. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it is it is really, um, it, it is interesting. Um, so the IKEA scenario or even the, the alcohol-free beer scenario, how could that possibly play out in the real estate industry or in a property management business? I think the question becomes, think about who isn't using your business or product uh, and find a way to connect with them and just start asking a bit about why not. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a non-real estate story quickly and then we'll, we'll bring it back to real estate. The best example of this I've ever seen is the Nespresso pod system. They went to people who don't drink coffee. Why don't you drink coffee? The answers were there's too much choice. It's overwhelming. I've got to get the grind right, the pressure right, the temperature right. You know, the machines are big and bulky and noisy and the list goes on. If you'd come to someone like me, who's a fanatic for coffee, I would have improved the current proposition by 1%. What they did is by speaking to people who don't drink coffee, they simplified it down to a pod. There's, you know, at the time, 11 choices, small little machine. You didn't have to figure out any of the pressure or temperature. You press a button and you got coffee. So by speaking to people who would never have bought an espresso machine, they built the world's best and most successful espresso machines. In real estate, the question becomes the same. If I'm selling to a particular market or category and I'm not being successful, the question becomes, what is it that is causing you to not choose me? And it's not always, what do you like about someone else? It's why you're not choosing our business. And it could be, we don't have an awareness of what you do. Uh, it could be that there's just not enough presence. It could be that we don't like the way you, you do something quirky with your marketing, any one of those things. From a too property happy. management, too happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From a property management point of view, it's it's. I'd look at the self-managed market. So for people that are managing property for themselves, you know, they're a third of the total market in Australia at the moment. That percentage is growing every year. The question becomes, why? What's going on, or what's going wrong that you feel like not using what I do is going to put you in a better spot? And then from that, experiment. Grab the smallest version of the idea test something really quickly, put it in front of someone and say, if I could do this and it worked and it did all these things, would you be prepared to pay for it? And off you go. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because everything is a, a pretty much test till it's not, right? Spot on, spot on. So let's talk about the other subject that you like to talk about, which is different versus better. Mm-hmm. And um, I've heard you use the analogy a couple of times that if you chase two rabbits, uh, chances are both will escape. Yep. So what does that mean in practice for business leaders? Because we know that um, at any given point in time, they're being thrown a heap of ideas, a heap of shiny objects, um, all that sort of thing. How do you choose where to go first? It's a great question. It's a fascinating problem to wrestle with. Um, any Any business, the issue isn't, you know, how do we pick the right things to say yes to? It's how do we pick the best things to say no to? Because the world is opportunity rich. Everyone has an abundance of ideas. There's all of these possibilities. But that that um, analogy to you know chasing two rabbits, I think it's a really apt one because if you just visualize yourself trying to do that, imagine you're at a starting point and you see two and both run in opposite directions. If you try to go after either, or sorry, both, you won't get either. 
if you pick one and double down on that one, you may or may not, but the chances improved. And this is the same for business. Pick the people that you are there to serve. Be really clear about why they choose you and what they want from you. And then every single time you think about what you commit a dollar to, there's a, there's a question around what am I accepting I have to say no to to put the dollar towards this one thing? And does it best serve the needs of the business and the people I'm trying to be successful with? Or is it just a good option in the mix of a bunch of good options where in fact there may be an even better one that I haven't seen? And just that pause, that, that willingness to stop, not say yes, not go charging after something can mean that you end up with a, a discovery around something that is far better, far more likely to succeed. It's a great metaphor for multitasking. Hey, like, you so know, true. like everyone, everyone thinks that multitasking is going to get them where they're going faster. But um, I think it was your, also you that said to me, you know, if, if you end up accelerating in the wrong direction, then you've got to come, you know, if you end up accelerating that way 100 kilometres, then you've got to come back 100 kilometres to get somewhere else that you were going as well, which is um, tricky. So true. And the, the challenge is there's a bunch of people that will, you know, for all the right reasons, help you go more quickly. And it makes it worse. So if you, if you are making poor decisions at the outset and executing that really well, you've still got a big problem at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. This strategy stuff is hard. This is why people need to come to Elite Retreat, yeah? <laughs> well, let's, we'll have some fun, Sam. We'll pull it apart. <laughs> Absolutely. So so let's talk about that because um, you'll be joining us for, for all um, four days and Comio is um, – the major partner for the event. Um, what will you be sharing with attendees during that time? So there's essentially two paths that I want to go down with people. One is at the start, I want to sort of give people this toolkit to understand and think about strategic decision-making very differently. So some of the stuff that we're talking about today, it's really building that out in a way which, you know, the, the benefit of this program, we're not just putting a bunch of slides up on a screen like we might've done in the past. We're immersed in a room together teasing it out to really understand the so what's, how do I apply this in my business? From that, we move into some stuff around some of these future trends uh, and then how some of these things connect and collide because that's where opportunity and risk tends to live. And then from there, we'll build that into a real life case study, uh, similar in style to the way that I learned when I was at Harvard. So we're going to do that in a real world setting with people so that all of these tools they've just been learning, they can put into action immediately in a safe but simulated setting with a bunch of you know really smart people in the room. And it means by the time they get back to their business, they've actually learned a bunch of stuff, they've had a go at it, and they're in a position to just get going and get it to ground in the companies. Yeah, and the ability to slow down and, and think a little bit, um, you know, by having conversations and things, things like that. Like I've actually heard that um, talking out loud can actually help you gain clarity um, on things that might be confusing, particularly if you're just embroiled in the day-to-day. So true. I think the, the other one that I'm a big fan of is if you teach someone something, even if you're learning it yourself, you're not just a participant, you're also actually the facilitator because the whole point of the case is that we bring in ideas and opinions and views and expertise from everyone in that room to make the learning greater than the sum of its parts. And it's, it's very powerful. Yeah, amazing. So if you guys want to come to Elite Retreat, and Scott and I would love to see you at Elite Retreat to unpack all of these um, these complex tasks, you can get your tickets at eliteretreat.com.au. Uh, we kick off on the 31st of July and go through to the 2nd of August where uh, Comio are, are helping us out with a party on a very um, <laughs> impressive boat. Um, if, for those of you that are familiar with Yacht Club up here, we're actually hiring out the boat for the night and we'll be 
drinking some Moe and Scott might even be doing a DJ set. <laughs> Scott, Scott will not be doing a DJ set. <laughs> That's a key selling point, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. We'll have to we'll have to yeah, we'll have to explore that one. We've still got time to work on you and I know Brock's on my side. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, um I want to thank you for coming along today and sharing some of your knowledge with us. This this stuff is absolutely fascinating and I'm sure everyone's gonna get a lot of value out of it. Uh apart from registering for Elite Retreat, I asked this one final question of my guests, and that is what's one key piece of advice or final takeaway you'd like to give everybody? I think um and we're going to get into this at Elite Retreat, right? But the, the thing is, there has never been a more important time just to be curious, truly curious. Things are changing at this incredibly rapid rate. Uh, you know, the, you look at some of these stories of kids starting companies in their garages that are worth billions of dollars in a couple of years. There's some magic in that. And, and I guess one of the great things is the more curious you are, the more you open yourself up to some of these ideas the more you can learn from it and apply it to your business, no matter what stage it's in. So I think that curiosity is just the most important thing, given how much wonderful opportunity there is right now. Scott Bateman, look forward to seeing you in August. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joinelitagent.com.